All right, Fitzy, I'm not sure we have hardly anything to talk about this week. There's, it hasn't been a busy week at all. It's too bad there's like no Iowa State sports news yeah. of any relevance happening right now. And there hasn't been anything interesting that happened. Never. Um, yeah, I mean, I, let's start with the, the game at Oklahoma. Yeah, uh, man, I, I started watching that game, and I think kind of like everyone else, we all kind of thought, you know, it was going to be heading toward the first blowout in probably like three or four years. Yeah. Um, but man, it didn't. I mean, Iowa State battled back, ha- obviously had that shot to win at the very end with that two-point conversion. May or may not have been pass interference, but regardless, it didn't, didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, but you got to give a ton of credit for them to not lay down and just take a beating. I think the thing for me was that, I, you know, you go down 14-0, and just the way that first half went, I was telling myself, man, they're going to get blown out. Yeah. And I was telling myself that, but I didn't know that, like, I didn't really believe it when I was telling myself that. Yeah. And I just kept saying it because I was trying to prepare my mm. mind for the possibility. You know, like back in, back in the day when, you know, we, we got shellacked by Baylor, like 70-0 in like the RG three years. Just thinking back to the, like when you, when you felt those days coming as an Iowa State fan, there was no like glimmer of hope in the back of your mind that they could ever come back. Right. But that's, that was what the difference was on Saturday is that even though a lot of those same emotions started happening, there was that little bit of an angel, like kind of on your shoulder being like, Hey, they could still come back. And they did. Yeah. It's like, I was, I was just sitting there thinking, man, the odds of them coming back are so incredibly slim. I'm not going to get my hopes up about it, Mm -hmm. but Against a team as good as Oklahoma. Right. It, I was just like, I'm just going to be realistic and assume that they're not going to come back. You know, you hope that the deficit doesn't get much wider than 21 or whatever. And uh, I, I understand what you're saying, but those years, I mean, like when you lost 70, whatever it was, 70 to seven, mm-hmm. I think that year in Waco, some of those games against Oklahoma, I mean, Oklahoma scored the first touchdown and you're like, well, there's the game winner <laughs> and yeah. the it, it was like they would get a, a 21 point lead and you're you're kind of like okay well now I can kind of see what's going on in these other games you know yep. I can flip around a little bit I don't need to worry about what exactly is happening here I can go get some yard work done right that kind of stuff I could kind of keep a passive eye on this game and just eventually I'll see what the final score is mm-hmm. and like on, on Saturday night I just never had that feeling that's like man I'm just going to turn this off for my mental health. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was sitting there just thinking like, you know, you just get one stop, get one stop at a time, get a stop, get the ball back, go and score and just take it one possession at a time, one play at a time. And you might have an opportunity. And I felt like I was having the Matt Campbell mentality. Like it had been drilled into my mind that yeah. I never felt like they were out of it because I was just like, man, you just got to win the next play. Yeah. And they started winning many plays consecutively. And that's kind of where I was like, okay, something's kind of shifting here. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the fumble, even then you, d- you get stopped and don't get into the end zone. And, uh, and then they got another stop, got the ball back, went and scored you down seven. And I was like, okay, what, what if I was like, okay, okay. Now, now this is getting to be kind of realistic that this could actually happen. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. I mean, I, you got to give a lot, the guys a lot of credit. It was really disappointing just because then they do come all the way back and you feel really good about that. Yeah. But, and then just like, it like kind of all collapsed in about 10 seconds. Yeah. And it is what it is. I don't know. I wasn't that fired up about the, I thought that the, to go to two for two was the right decision. 
I wasn't that fired up about the pass interference deal. So I kind of just like sat back and I was like, man, I'm just really disappointed that they, that it like got, it was so fast like that. And then it fell short. Yeah. Like it's so much, so much had built up during that comeback. And then it all was all basically for nothing. I mean, Mm -hmm. cause not all for nothing. Cause they did come back. There is some, like you had to give some credit there, but at the same time, it's an L no matter, no matter how you chalk it up. Right. And there's, you can't be, I wasn't like mad, you know? Yeah. I wasn't mad that they lost the game. I was just like, man, that would have been awesome. Yeah. You know? And I absolutely do think going for two was the right call. <clears throat> and I think Chris ran a, a poll on his Twitter account. Like 90% of people who responded were happy that, that they went for two as well. Right. Because number one, Oklahoma is a better kicker than Iowa State. Number two, Oklahoma is better offense than Iowa State. And if they start on the 25, you almost guarantee that they're going to score in overtime. So I think that they needed to win the game there. And unfortunately, they didn't. Well, I, I think that with the way your quarterback was playing, you know, you're in a position where it's like, man, let's just win the game. Mm-hmm. But let's throw all of our chips on the table and say, we think that we can get these three yards yeah. and beat you right now. Yeah. And, and to add to it, uh, as people also have pointed out, Charlie Kohler was open on that play too. Right. Unfortunately, Purdy just didn't see him. And I can't fault Brock for that. No. You know, I, I don't think that he necessarily made the wrong play. Yep. I don't know. I, he, I don't think he made the best play, which is there's a, I think there's a kind of a middle ground mm-hmm. there where it's like the worst play is something that doesn't even come close. Yep the best option is the one where Charlie's open and you know it when I was watching it live when the ball gets to Petway I thought he caught the ball I did too you know and I I popped up from my seat and I was like and I and then you see it bobbling around and it all happened so fast but just initially it was like he he caught it like I was oh my gosh Mm -hmm. and I think you could even see from coach Campbell's reaction on the sideline they showed that on the the tv yeah um where he throws his hands up in the air, he thought he caught it too. Mm. So, like, I think that in that moment, everybody's like, but that just shows how close it was to to being able to, to leave there with a win. And, you know, at the end of the day, too, in the last 20 years, Oklahoma's lost 10 games in Norman. Mm. Obviously, it's one is one of those. I would be, I mean, I would have to go back and look at all of them, but the odds, I think, of you know, one team being on there twice and it being on back-to-back trips to Norman seems very slim. Extremely rare, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just disappointing, but... Yeah, I mean, because again, before that loss, technically Iowa State still controlled its destiny. So if they had beaten Oklahoma, then we'd still be staring at, you know, win out and we can go to the Big 12 championship game no matter what. At this point, they need a little bit of help. Yeah, um, I I think that ship's kind of sailed at this point. Um, but it's just, just further goes to show like how far this program has come. And I mean, now like, you know, that, that mentality, that's how I am when I watch a Nebraska game, you know, like when they played Minnesota, mm-hmm. they got down, whatever it was, I think 14 zero. And I was like, I can't watch this anymore. I'm turning <laughs> it off. Yeah. And that's because like, if I sat there, it used to be where I could sit and watch it. And it was like self torture. Like I was doing it to myself. I was like, I'm going to make myself sit here and take it. You yeah. know, one of those years, I think that Ohio state went in, they scored like the first 50 points unanswered. Yep. And I was like, I'm going to sit here and watch every moment of this and make myself, I'm going to drill it into my head that I should not be doing this to myself. I mean, you know, the nice thing about those games though, is that it does make you appreciate when things do go well down the road, you know? Yeah. Well, 
things aren't going very well down the road right now. So I mean, in that sense, so yeah, you're not wrong. I'm not, I'm not thinking about that with them, but I mean, yeah, it makes those games that you think about with Iowa state where they would get blown out like that. It makes you appreciate now, mm-hmm. you know, and even then we still haven't had those, that many scenarios where it's like, we got to come back, you know, mm-hmm. but it felt like what, what it felt like to me was those, it felt like the, the basketball team with Fred when you'd come back against Oklahoma yeah. Or you'd come back against Kansas and yep. you'd come back from a 15 point deficit in the, like in a, in a snap of fingers. And, you know, really the entire time you knew that that could happen, mm-hmm. you know? So even when they're down like that, you're sitting there thinking like, man, just get one stop, go down and put the ball in the basket, get another stop and like, just try and take it like that, you know? And one, and that's like like the the game against Oklahoma is a perfect example where I mean they were getting their asses kicked mm-hmm. in that game, and you know they get the something goes their way, all of a sudden the tide starts to shift a little bit, and then the ball starts rolling downhill, and that's what it seemed like for for Iowa State on Saturday was that the ball started rolling downhill, and in the past like that ball was like a tiny little pebble, mm-hmm. and now it's like a huge boulder, and it can kind of bowl you it can bowl you over yeah and I mean they nearly did it to one of the most talented teams in college football yeah and that's the part that is great knowing that the the ceiling of this team when they're clicking on all cylinders that just it's encouraging because you know they can technically hang with and beat anyone in the country if they don't make mistakes Mm -hmm. and that's where you know I just posted Jay's piece for this week Uh, with Jeff and I talked about this on football and random things where I mean, most, so many of these guys come back next year and it feels like that is built into the program now, that mentality yep. of we're never out of it. And we've got enough talent that we can, in the blink of an eye, we can be, the game can complete, completely flip, mm-hmm. you know, in the past, like that year when they went and beat Oklahoma, it felt like such an anomaly that they were able to do that. They had that belief, but they didn't have the talent to like, that yeah. was like when they were a bowling ball. You yep. know, like if you really get rolling, like really, really get rolling downhill, you can do some damage. And they were able to really get rolling in that game. Mm. And in in this one, it's like you, you sit there and think like, man, I don't think Oklahoma's ever going to stop Iowa State again at this point. Yep. There's nothing that makes me think that they're going to be able to keep Iowa State out of the end zone. And again, it goes back to the whether or not you go to overtime. If they did, I didn't feel comfortable putting the kicker out there. Agreed. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully the the takeaway from the Oklahoma game is that they've kind of figured things out and they can kind of keep this rolling going into Texas. Yeah, get, get it rolling going into Texas. And I think that, man, if there was any game that I wanted to be after that one, it would be Texas. Yeah, and in Ames on a very on a cold relative to Texas, what Texas is used to, mm-hmm. day. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's if you're going to come back and play Kansas, you know, right after that, there's the room for there to be a little bit of a letdown. Mm. You would lose that game and you see how close you were. And then you look at the team that's coming up next and you're like, Oh yeah, there can't be any letdown. Yeah, exactly. We know how good those guys are. Yeah. The focus level will still be high, very high for this game. And I think that those guys in that building, you know, I asked, I asked coach Campbell on, on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and I kind of framed it in a way to not mess with him a little bit, you know, elicit a particular I, response. Yeah. Well, I, me and coach Campbell have a pretty good rapport. I, yeah. I, I like to think, uh, 
I think most of us do at Cyclone Fanatic. We, for the most part, we get along with him. And I, I think I know how to push his buttons in a good way, like to get him to say something. Uh, and I said, uh, since you've been in Ames, you guys have beat every Big 12 team, except for Texas. Why? And uh, he kind of laughed, you know. Yeah. And uh, he gave me a good answer and, and explained why. And that, in the, you know, about the, the talent that they have and how good their coaching staff is and just that – you know that they're going to come in for the most part always. And like, this is one of those games where Iowa state is still going to be out athleted, you know, which I don't think is going to happen very often anymore, Mm -hmm. but you look one through 85 at that roster. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you got to tip the scales towards Texas, even if it's slight. And so, you know, that these guys are going to come in to work this week with a mentality that these guys are still, that's one of the big dogs, you know, We're we're not a big dog yet. And they could, they've got the guys and the youth that next year, the year after that, they could be big dogs, but mm-hmm. they still got some work to do. Yeah. And, and they got back on track last week against Kansas state. Um, so you, you know, their, their mindset at this point is like, let's keep it rolling as well. Like they're not coming off a loss. They're coming off a win. So they, they want a win streak to get started here. Right. And I, I don't think it's lost on anybody in that building right now that, you know, the way that that game went down there in Austin last year. I don't think that was a representation of how good Iowa State was. Yep. Um, that was probably last year. I think that was Purdy's worst game. I think that that was probably the worst game that the program has played since that game against Oklahoma, like the resurgence yep. kind of. I mean, the, like the only other ones I think you could throw in there, it's like they're bookended. They're bookended that Texas game, the last Jacob Park game, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know, the game last year. It's like, those are the two that you can kind of pinpoint. And that's where it's just, I know that they're well aware yeah. of what Texas has been able to do to them yeah. since they've been here. That game against Texas last year, I would, it's not so far to venture out to say that Iowa State got bullied last year. Absolutely, they did. Like, they got pushed around on both the defensive and offensive lines. Uh, Purdy had barely any time to throw the ball. They had a good scheme uh, to kind of just, like, force him into making bad decisions. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of change up the game plan this year to counteract some of those things. I just think Iowa State's a lot better than they were, you know? Like, I think that the the talent on this team, that that 2017 team, and they're going to be beloved forever for this, those dudes were just so hard nosed. Yeah. And they were so freaking tough that, and they, they just had that mentality that like, we are way tougher than you and we're going to do our jobs way better than you do. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're like, that leveled the playing field for them. And it was so veteran. I mean, there's so many dudes who just had played so much football for Iowa state and they've been so through so much BS, Yep, you know? And so for, like as far as talent, you stack up these teams. Like this team, if they play the way that one did, I mean they're undefeated. Like and yep, would be a top, it's probably eight team in college football right now if they had that mentality. You yep. know, and that's what you hope that I think going into next year you can get where you get that that mix of the, that 2017 team with this team where you've got this team's talent and that team's experience experience belief uh, grit belief yeah um and then attention to doing the correct thing every single play the attention mm-hmm. to detail the attention to the margins those things that matt campbell preaches yep and if you can do that then you know you can have a really special season and it's like that's the thing that right now is just separating iowa state from being special exactly they just can't do it for four quarters 
Yep. And, you know, get a couple ball bouncing the other way, that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe a couple of those losses this year easily flip to a win next year. Man, can you catch the football? Yes. Uh, can you cover a receiver? Yes. No, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> I can catch a football. I can't cover a receiver. I was going to say, I, I, that, that still just is bugging me. Yeah. Man, there's got to be some guys in that receiver room that could play some defense back, you know? Well, I mean, Tavon Kyle. I know they already, back, right? they already moved him. Yeah. We know he, well, so, you, I mean, it's possible. We know he can catch. Yep. You know, I just, I, it's, it's just like crazy to me, like how many times that's happened. I mean, and it's funny too, and, because Eisworth was one of those uh, near misses for the interceptions. And he usually has pretty sure hands when he gets both hands on the ball. Right. Uh, Jay wrote in his, in his piece, there's a line like, usually defensive guys play defense, play defense because they can't catch the ball. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's like the saddest thing ever in the joke about if you can't catch, like if you can't uh, catch it receiver, you play defense, yeah. or you play defensive back. And you like to think that that's not the truth, mm. but there's some level of it that definitely is. Absolutely. I mean, because, I mean, think about it. You can't play wide receiver if you can't catch the ball. Right. So, I mean, if you're, if you're a fast guy who can, again, like run with the receivers, then it makes sense for you to play cornerback or safety. Right. And like, you like to think that, like, no, he's basically a receiver that just really likes to hit people, you know? Yeah. That's what, like, that's the, th- the thing that you, like, would like to think. But in reality, there was at some point in that kid's life, you know, every recruit, it's like every kid coming up, there's some point in his life or someone in, you know, at his <laughs> high school or at uh, when he was in middle school or something like that, they said, buddy, we're going to need you to be on defense. Like, man, well. we, we just really need you to focus on doing your job on defense. <laughs> and, you know, That's we, so depressing. We, we want we think you can really help the team if you just do your best to stop that guy from catching the ball, which essentially translates to we, we, to, to help the team the best, you should not play offense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, that, and I'm not saying that that's exactly true, but, yeah. it's, but that's it, yeah. also why like the guys who are, who really can catch the ball, like th- that play defensive back are always like superstars freaks. Yeah. I mean, you know, the honey badger type guys, the Dion Sanders, the uh, Charles Woodson, like people like that, that, you know, yeah, are just animals, and maybe there are a few guys on like that on Iowa State's roster who just always wanted to play defense and who can, who can catch the ball just fine. That's I, what, I hope they start making more interceptions if if they are on the roster. That's something that I should. That's a story I should do. Like I want to ask every Iowa State defensive back: When did you when did you realize that you needed to play defense and not play offense? That would be a great off season piece. I would love that because if you did it right now, it'd be kind of like an insult. Yeah, but if you wait to the off season, that'd be real fun. And I'm not trying to like. I mean, there's some really talented guys oh, yeah. in that group. Like, I'm just, as much as anything, it's tongue-in-cheek, you know? Like, and and Tavon Kyle deal, too, like, I think that they knew they had a lot of good receivers, and they saw that he had the potential to do that. Yep. And it was like, all right, we're going to move you over here because if you – I mean, and Jay writes in there, he's been their best cornerback the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, and why would you turn down playing time if you can get in at corner? Right, and it's like if they tell you, like, we think you can be really, really good over here, like, we're pretty straight over here, you know, on this side – we think you can come over here and be like an elite level talent with your skill set and then the ability to catch the football. <laughs> yeah. When you combine those two things, then it's like, man, you could like that's that's something that could make you special. Yeah. You know? And and correct me if I'm wrong, he's a redshirt freshman, correct? Yeah. 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 So he he has four years. Well, I mean like three and you know, a quarter now. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was uh he was one of the I think he maybe was part of the 
crew that got in trouble last year. Oh, was he? Yeah, I, I think that's true. Well, let's just not talk about that so we don't have to. No. I, yeah, but at least he's bounced back compared to some of the other guys that yeah. were involved in that. But, uh, all right, do you, do you feel like they're going to win Saturday? You know, again, with how bad Texas's secondary has been at times this year, I do feel fairly confident about this one, which is very weird to say since Matt Campbell, again, still hasn't beat Texas technically. Um, and again, with even with the game, how it went last year, um, I do strangely feel pretty confident about this one. You? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel good. I mean, I think that I would not want to be Texas coming into this game. I, I already gave the reasons why I think that I feel like this group is going to be ready to roll. Yep. And it seems like something's, you know, you know, Brock's always been good. It seemed like something flipped a little bit in that game mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, a lot of coaches talk about how when, like when the thing flips, it's going to flip fast and it did for Iowa state, but it's like, I think that those things are similar still where like, it takes a little bit of time. Like even once it flips, like to flip again, to flip to the next thing, mm-hmm. it like takes a little bit of time, but like once it flips, it flips fast. Yeah. And it like, there's like just this, this moment where it hits you that damn man, they went this moment right here. They went to that next step. Yeah. You know, Another thing I think that a lot of the guys just being smart dudes on the roster, they're aware that to beat last year's regular season win total, or I mean, to, to match it, they have to win out, you know? So I technically, even though there's been a lot of close games, you know, fin- losing one of these last three games would technically put them at seven wins. And technically that's one less than last year. So they're going to be motivated to not take a step back. Yeah. I just want them to win these next three games because I would prefer to go to Orlando than to go to Memphis or uh, the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah. What about what about the Texas Bowl? The Texas Bowl? Like the yeah. actual Texas Bowl? Yeah, the Texas Bowl. Isn't that like the worst bowl game you could go to in the Big 12? No, it's like the second or third worst, I think. There's there's a couple more that are worse on the pecking order. I, I mean, if, if of any of those options, I'd prefer to go to Memphis. Mm. But that's also on New Year's Eve. Wait, like wait, it's wait. actually New Year's Eve this you, year? You would prefer to go to Memphis, even though they've been there? Well, no, of, of those other options. Oh. I would like, I mean, in best case scenario... I'd like to go somewhere we've never been before, you know? I feel like the Cheez-It Bowl would be pretty cool just because it's the Cheez-It Bowl and, like, it's become a meme in a a way, you know? Yeah. It would be some old, like, that's like some Pac-12 after after dark type (laughs) stuff because that game kicks off, I think, at 8 p.m. Central time. Yeah, and that's that's the only sucky part. Yeah. I just know that on, you know, December 27th or whatever it is at 8 p.m., I'd be sitting there like, man... I wish I wasn't here right now. <laughs> I yeah. wish we were in San Antonio or I wish we were in Orlando or whatever. Like that, or- I think that Orlando game's in the afternoon. Mm. And we could go to Disney World. Like how, you know. Cyclone Fanatic does Disney World. Sounds like a great video series. That does sound like a... You, Disney Plus. We'll, uh, mm, we'll pitch it to them while we're down there. Yep. Uh, moving on to basketball. Did you watch the game? last night <laughs> yes uh i was at the i was at the game last night oh you were and you didn't even come say hello i i'm at like every other game i mean do you want me to come say hello every other game i mean i sh- you know i thought we were friends like my friend oh. friend of the program ryan grove he, Did, uh, uh, he who said hello after the last time we talked about whether or not there's been anyone who's listened to every episode of stands and fits he texted me that next morning 
to make sure I knew that him and his wife had both listened to every episode of Stands and Fits. Wow. So I feel honored. Shout out, there is shout out to Ryan there. Grove. But he comes and says hello at every game. So I'm just saying, like, there's a, right. there seems to be a little bit of a discrepancy here. Okay. Well, next time I come to a home game, I will come up and say hello. Still <laughs> the same spot? Yeah. Up on, up on the up on the parquet? Well, you don't need to... We don't need to advertise that. I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a, a secret. Well, what if like, there's not going to be a bunch of fangirls come up and try to get your autograph or anything. You never know. Maybe I try and stay hidden. If, if, if you get one fangirl to come up and ask your autograph at the next home game, because I said that on the podcast, then take a picture with them. That is something that I think Chris doesn't like about sitting up there. Like everybody wants to talk to Chris. Oh, really? That's more of a problem for him than it is for me. Yeah, I could, I could see that. But, I mean, he's like a massive national celebrity, so. He's a radio personality. Exactly. Uh, Back to what we were saying before. Um, Okay, you were at the game. I was. The, how did you feel about uh, the performance? And did you want to throw up while watching Iowa State shoot three for 25 (laughs) from three-point range? I mean, that's what I was going to say. It's like no no way around it Iowa State did not shoot the ball well last night um outside of Caleb Grill mildly yeah. yeah um yeah I I was on the radio today and I was like talking about that and I was like man I was like it's crazy to say but like Caleb Grill came in and like padded stats at the end of the game yeah by making two three-pointers <laughs> yeah Iowa State's uh three-point percentage went up exponentially thanks to Caleb Grill it literally tripled yeah I wrote that in my uh, my recap last night that if, if it, you take his out, they shot 4% yeah. from three-point range. I, I do remember at one point in the second half, I, I looked up and the percent was at 5% and then he made, you know, the couple that he made and it, it got up to like 10% or something like that. Yeah. Like, Thanks, Caleb. But anyways, yeah, the shooting was bad. Uh, thankfully, they did lock down on defense a lot better. And I think a, a little bit of that was uh, the German guy on the other team. He started becoming a little bit more of a chucker. Um, I think he took a, little, a few more bad shots that he did make in the first half to his credit. Um, that guy's like a top 10 scorer, like active scorer in college basketball. Yeah. And I, I can see why he's got a lot, he's got a lot of good moves. Um, I can see why, because I think that literally everything runs through him. Yeah. He's their guy. If you, there's a higher usage rate in college basketball than that guy, I would be, he's probably gonna be top 10 sure. at least. The only other guy who might rival rival him is Tyrese Halliburton this year. Very true. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, it was good to see them locked down on defense, and I think that is going to become a theme at some point. Uh, at some points this year, they're going to have to make up for their lack of offense with, by playing better defense. Um, and I think we kind of saw a glimpse of that last night. Hopefully, they don't shoot near as bad as they did in that game um, any other time this year. See, I think I think the 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 only thing that I have coming out of there is that. Yeah, I like the way they played defensively in the second half. You hold Northern Illinois to 18 points. But realistically, I mean, they're not going to ever shoot that much better than what they did. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would hope that they'll shoot at least in the 30s for <laughs> yeah. the most part. But uh, if they're going to win some Big 12 games where they aren't shooting the ball very well, they got to play with that for all 40 minutes. Yep. It can't be where at halftime they come out and switch the – they turn the switch on. Yeah. Like that has to be, that's going to have to be what this team is, is like, they're going to be a defensive team like that. Yep. And some nights when you're hitting, like then you can, you know, really beat some people. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you're not going to win many big 12 games scoring 70 points. And 
shooting three for 25 from three. Yes. Um, because uh, the other teams are going to be way more, like just are going to be way better at being able to take advantage of that. And I think the, the way Iowa state looked in the first half was kind of made even worse because they didn't really get out in transition at all. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of because they rebounded poorly as well. Um, because I think when you do get to Big 12 play, Iowa State's going to have to find a way to get out and get some easy buckets. Otherwise, they're going to really struggle to score the ball. Right, and that's that's exactly what I was just I was just thinking is when when you play that well defensively, when you're getting steals and when you're getting forcing missed shots and you're able to get out and run, then you can get into some uh, some situations where the defense isn't set and you get some easier just easier buckets. You're able to get the ball on some lobs to George Condit and stuff like that, and that's what I think they're going to have to do. They're going to have to play on defense in order to create easier shots for themselves on offense because they're just not going to come. They're not going to come from their natural offensive ability. Yep. And that'll be something that just like, it's like everybody's got to realize, like it's almost like Kansas state to an extent, not as bad because I think coach Prohm's a better, as much as I hate to admit it, I think coach Prohm is a better offensive coach than coach Weber is. Mm -hmm. Um, like things that I've heard about the way they run their offense. Like I, I don't know like how much offense they actually really even run. Mm -hmm. Like if you had, if you could combine like coach Prom's ability to coach offense with like Steve or Bruce Weber's ability to coach defense. defense, like that's what, you know, the ultimate elite coach, right? Like if I obviously had Bruce Weber as its defensive coordinator right now, this team could get easy shots, I think. But right now I just don't think that they have, so what you're, what, what you're saying is the key to Iowa State basketball taking the next step is hiring Bruce Weber. Okay, well, let's not get, <laughs> let's not get carried away. I'm saying that they need to play def defense with the mentality like what those guys had, like what the Barry Browns and the Dean Wades and what those, yeah. well, how those teams played defensively or every night when you went up against them, you knew that you were in for a fist fight. Yeah. You and, know? I mean, the thing that makes those those guards especially great is that even though they're like on ball pressuring really hard, they don't get beat off the dribble rarely. Right. Or, I mean, they rarely get beat off the dribble, excuse me. So when Iowa State's guards do get beat off the dribble, then, of course, you have to have the post to come up and help, and then they, the other team could kick out, and you have to you know do all the rotations and help side. And yeah. It just gets the defense out of whack. In my mind, if like Prentice Nixon needs to go into every single game saying – I'm going to lock down the other team's best player. I don't care how big he is. And I want to win the big 12 defensive player of the year. Yeah. Like what Barry Brown was. Yeah. Where or, Barry Brown, or Javon Carter. Yeah. Where Barry Brown, like, and Javon Carter, they both said like, I'm, I don't care about playing on offense. They, it came because they were both really good. Yep. You know, but their entire thing was like, I'm going to make my game. My biggest impact is going to be down here where you're not going to score on me. Exactly. And just let, and when they do play offense, just let the offense come to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in these last two games, you've seen that they put him on German last night and he was able to, I think he forced German into a lot more of that than what he had been forced into in the first half. Uh, he really locked in on the scouting report and what they needed to do against him. You saw him do it to Tress Tinkle. Yep. Tress Tinkle, six, seven. Yep. Brenda Nixon's generously seven, six foot one. Yep. You know, and he was able to outside of for basically 19 and a half minutes, he kept Trish Tinkle from doing anything in the second half of that game. And they nearly won because of it. Yep. And that's just what I'm saying. Like if they're going to be the best version of them, if they're going to be a bubble team or be a team that's going to go to the NCAA tournament, that's what they have to come in with that mentality every single night that we know we can't beat people just because we can come out and outscore you. Yeah. 
And that's another thing you hope for going forward is that like in these early non-conference games, they're still kind of figuring out which players are going to serve which roles. And, you know, like what like what you're saying with Nixon, he needs to just become that defensive, you know, lockdown guy. Mm-hmm. And if, if he does that and other guys fall into place, then hopefully they'll be peaking uh, later on in the year. Yeah, I, th- I think we saw Rajir last night. I think we saw more of what he can be this season. Yep. Drive the ball. Um, be a playmaker right really you know really get going downhill when he's playing downhill he's tough and that's what coach Prom said after the game last night we had to do something to get him going downhill mm-hmm. and the other thing and this will be my last point on on this year's team is I, for now is I think I think that there is going to have to be a conversation about when George Condit is your primary five man Absolutely. Because I think that that's when the team is at its best is when he's on the floor. Yep. Uh, just on offense, he's just, he's, he adds a dimension of in like in the, in the, in the lob game. I think that is just always there, especially when you got Tyrese Halliburton handling the ball mm-hmm. and then on defense, th- that extra length just is a big time help in the post. Yeah. And if you're going to be an elite defensive team, like if you, if that's what you're going to be built on mm-hmm. this year, then you need that guy that's back there. That's going to be able to clean some stuff up yep that when your your guards are being really aggressive and are trying to create opportunities for the other end by the way that they're playing defense but they're like they're being sound but they're still trying to get their hands on balls and stuff like that you're still going to get beat sometimes yep you need that dude who dude who is the eraser at the rim yep and that's what george i think so far has proven that he can be i mean these last two games he's been high level yep as a shot blocker yep and the way that he runs the floor his length offensively, I mean, he's, if he continues to get better, he's going to be, I mean, he's going to be a really, really, really good player. Yeah. And I, I love Solomon Young. I think he's just a solid uh, presence all around. You know what you're going to get out of him. Right. But if, if George keeps developing, then he's going to have a much higher ceiling down the road. And I think it's, I think it's almost un like Solomon had a really good game last night. Yeah. So I, I, it's hard, I think, to say this right now. Like, I mean, but I think that it, it's almost unfair, like to ask Solomon to do what George that could much. do. Yeah. Like, or like just to be like, be like, man, we need you to, you know, score 15 a game. Yeah. Or I don't even know if that's the best way to put it, but it's like the best version of Solomon is when Solomon is almost like an offensive lineman. Yeah. Like clearing the way for everyone. Right. Else. Like every once in a while you'll see, he'll pop out and you'll be like, man, that was a hell of a play by Solomon, mm-hmm. you know, but he's like the garbage man, right? More often. Yeah. He's the, he's exactly, that's what he, what he is. He's the garbage man. More often than not, Solomon is just the guy that you don't notice him doing anything. He's going to get you some easy buckets because he's going to outwork everybody on the boards, but he's going to get you boards. He's going to be sound defensively and he's going to make good decisions. And that's what he did in 2017 where he would get easy buckets every once in a while, just because it's like everybody else is paying attention to all the other dudes and, and he would outwork somebody to get a bucket. Yep. And that's, I think when Solomon is at his best is when he's almost kind of like a, He's very much a role player. Yep. You know, and he's really good. He's like a really good role player. Uh, so, but that's just where I, like, I think with George, like if they're going to, that's the best version of them right now. And I don't know if you take out Solomon. I don't know if you take out Mike. I'm not sure what the best way to do that is, but George has got to keep getting more minutes. Yep. I'm totally with you there. And he's got to keep staring dudes down at the <laughs> tip dunks. That Cameron Lard energy. He needs to maintain it. Yeah. He's got like a, it's like a little more contained though. Yeah. I think. He's got like a little bit of uh, like Joel Embiid in him, mm. just like that that fu in him. Wow, that's, that's what I like. That's, that's that's like the highest praise from coming from you. Well, I mean, even after he gets the tech, like he's over at the student section pumping him up and stuff, <laughs> and they're all just cheering for him because he's like, yeah, he gets a technical foul. He's like, I don't care. 
You he, know? he has that that uh, that that competitive personality that you saw a little bit from George Niang. Yeah. Well, and like he knows how you can tell he already knows how to work the crowd. Yep. You know, he, yeah. kn- he knows how to get everybody in the palm of his hand a little bit. Yeah. He, he and Tyrese have both share that same quality. I, I would say that obviously Tyrese is kind of more of a happy go lucky kind of way to do that. Whereas Conda is more of a intense, uh, you know, style. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. He it's, it's like why I said, it's like Tyrese is closer to like the George way like George had a lot of FU in him Tyrese has some FU in him yeah you know and that's why I say like they're like very similar in that sense but like like Condit's like a a guy that could go in other arenas and like be a villain but like everybody else just loves him you yeah. know yeah and like George outside of being at Iowa I think like never was a villain anywhere that's true it, I mean, it, like Kansas, yeah. they gave him a standing ovation after their very true. It's, basically, it's, they did his like they yeah. gave him a senior night moment like in Hilton Call or in Cam or uh, Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, it's it's a it's a mutual respect kind of thing, right? Whereas like Condit could be the villain, right? That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. he's, I think he's gonna go and like in his career, he will just be that guy that everybody's like, man, I hate that dude. He could be sort of like a Ryan Spangler in a way. I think he but, played that that villain role a little bit. Yeah. There's so many of those guys that you know, like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like Ryan Spengler was a fine player, but I just don't think he was good enough, like to really. Everybody just hated him. I, mean, I don't know. It's a completely different kind of thing. But, uh, it, like Aaron Kraft, like you, you ha- you hated him, but you had to respect him too, because yeah. it's like, I mean, the dude won his entire career. Just bust his ass every night. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, like George was a villain in Iowa City because he played that perfectly yep he hated those guys hates those guys so much that he played that perfectly and i think george just like has some of that channeled into him where it's like he uh he can he can just like at least act like he hates everybody yep in the arena and he'll like feed off of uh off of their hate which mm-hmm. takes us to a, another point the on monday and this will be our last thing in this first segment um i was with some huge news obviously this is national signing day for men's and women's basketball uh xavier foster the number one player in the state of Iowa announces his decision to commit to Iowa State. The way that I reason I transitioned that, you know, the quote that he gave me that he wants people to not like him on yeah. the floor. That's what I want from people. I, I want that in my basketball players, especially my big men that, that like I want everybody in the arena to hate me except yeah. for my fans. And think about that. Like the, the part that made me so excited about Foster committing, especially is you, you can now think about trotting out Foster and Condit on the floor at the same time in certain mm-hmm. lineups, having six eleven twice out there. It's, it's, it's kind of like the thing where you imagine like the, the Baylor teams that constantly come to Hilton Coliseum with the, the long lanky bigs. Right. Iowa State can finally counter that with some big length. And they're both athletic. Yeah. Both can run. Yep. I think George can shoot better than what people have ever seen too. Yep. I I don't think he's really been required to show no, his range at that's all. That's definitely not his role right now. But it wouldn't surprise me if like if you had those two guys out there, I think there'll be a day when George shows like he can he'll play the four a little bit. Shoot the ball a little bit and like yep. they can be a lot they can be very universal. And when you can have two seven footers that can protect the rim, I mean, come on. Like <laughs> when's the last time Iowa State had two basically seven footers in their rotation like that were competent yeah you know like athletic seven footers yeah and and there's like don't get me wrong Xavier Foster has a lot of has a lot of work to do yep. you know he's there's going to be a big jump from 3A Iowa basketball yeah, class 3A to playing in 
uh, in the Big 12. But, I mean, I think that the kid's got some potential to be a very good player. Yeah. I mean, when, you, when you've got that height, it's unteachable, obviously. And he, he shows athleticism that is, I would say, on the upper end of uh, special for that height. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that's why he's rated a four-star. He's got, he's got a lot of potential. Yeah, and, and that's where... I mean, he, like I said, he, I think he's got some of that in him, that villain, like that. And I, I just love that in my, you got to have that edge, yep. you know, like if you want to be a really like great big man, I mm-hmm. feel like you've got to have an edge of you that it's just like, this is my paint. Well, and it's, you know, that you're unlike anybody else in the arena, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, you're either going to love me or you're going to hate me. There's not that many six eleven dudes that walk around, you yep. know? Or like dudes like George that were six seven six eight and could move the way he could and could you know were, were as crafty as him mm-hmm. like that's where it's like all eyes are going to be on me because I'm the one who's out here that's a that's different yep and yeah but I, I think that Foster's got he's at least spoken about having that mentality and mm-hmm. I like it. When he said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I'm in on this kid. I love him. <laughs> so it was great to actually see him sign, put pen to paper today uh, as well. And then he, coming in with him, uh, Iowa State's got, what, three, like, six, five guys yeah. coming in, too? Yeah, three, six, five dudes. I think that you can see where you see what Coach Prohm wants. Yep. You know, this year was a little hard just because it's it going to be tough to bridge that gap. You lose so many of those guys that are in that mold at one time. Yep. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to. Yeah, it's going to be tough to like get right back to that. Mm. But, I mean, I think Dudley Blackwell is a guy that is is tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a good athlete. Um, he really, like, from what I understand, I think he really likes to defend. He really likes to rebound. Uh, so I think that that'll be a, a good guy to, to bring in. I think Jaden Walker is kind of in that mold of being Tyrese Halberton. I'm not saying he is Tyrese Halberton, mm. but they're – it's hard to not look at him and see the comparisons. He's 6'5", 170, which is the same size that Tyrese was coming out of Oshkosh North. Yep. Uh, they're rated almost exactly the same. I mean, I think, you know, that's another good piece to add that you know we're gonna, you're going to get some more length on the perimeter that is a guy who's a ball, you know, a, a lead guard that can score and can pass and, um, and, and is a willing defender. And then uh, I, I'm interested in this Darling Stone uh, Dubar too. Seems pretty versatile. Um, from yeah. what I can tell. I think that he's a guy that we just don't know that much about yet, but he's going to play at the same prep school that Clarence Nadolny did mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. uh, who's now at Texas Tech. Obviously recruited him hard. Um, he's, he seems like somebody that can maybe really rise here over the next couple months. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're trotting out, like technically, if you're thinking about those four guys on the court at the same time, and then maybe throwing combat, mm-hmm. six, five, six, five, six, five, seven foot, seven foot. Well, and, I mean, you forget the fact that you got Rashir Bolton or yeah. Rashir Bolton. All these returning guys. Right. You're going to bring back Solo. Uh, you're going to have Caleb Grill. You're going to have Trey Jackson. Yep. Like, they're, that's a, this four, like, this crew is like, you look at it and you're like, man, this is a pretty good, t- this is a tough little group. Yeah. You know? They're going to complement the, the returners on next year's roster really well, I think. Yeah. And you hope that they can jump in and make contributions. I mean, it's obviously like we're still a year out from when they're ever going to be playing for Iowa State. Uh, but I, I think that right now, based on the, for the most part with the, the history of the staff, like it's hard to sit here and be like, yeah, I don't trust their evaluation. They've missed on some guys. Some of them, they were reaches, I think, for different reasons, yep. you know, whether it's time or necessity, necessity where you just like got to fill a role. Yeah. Like, 
or I mean, fill a hole in the roster. Going in that 2017, 18 years, like we literally don't have anybody. Yep. You know, we don't have anybody on the team. I don't think that's the case this year, though. No, I think that these are guys that, I mean, Dudley Blackwell, they recruited for a long time. Xavier Foster, they recruited for almost four years. Yeah. Uh, this is more similar to that 2018 recruiting class with Tyrese, right. THT. And those, and they, they and just don't guys. have that same, like they don't have the level of, I mean, I guess it's not that far off. Like when you have Xavier and mm-hmm. Blackwell, who are both top one, I mean, Xavier's top fi- uh, 60. Mm-hmm. And then um, Blackwell's like top 140 or something like that. But yeah, you're, you're pretty close to being right there in that same range as that group. So um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I think that the, they put in a, pulled in a pretty good class and um, it's hard to sit right here right now, at least, and critique it. Yeah, exactly. A lot to look forward to for Iowa State. Definitely. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back uh, on Stands and Fits, presented by the Professional MBA Program at the Ivy College of Business on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Time for Hot Not Now on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network, Stands and Fits. You want to go first? Sure. Man, Disney Plus. They're my hot. I don't care what everyone says about the buffering, glitching stuff I haven't that's had going any problem on. with it either. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't personally had any issues with it. Uh, granted, I probably haven't used it as near as much as some people, but had no issues watching The Mandalorian first episode. We went, we went on to go into that because I'm sure people haven't seen it yet. Um, I approve, though. I, I have not that. seen it, so. Yeah. Uh, there is a pretty big reveal at the end that you'll have to look forward to if you haven't seen it already. You've seen the whole show? Oh, I've seen the first episode. There's only one episode out so far. Oh, they're doing it like that. Yeah, they're doing. I think they're releasing it every Friday from here on on. So there, there will be a new one pop up Friday. Huh. Okay. Well, interesting. Does mm-hmm. it have a lot to do like with the actual story from Star Wars? Um, it happens after Return of the Jedi. Oh, so it's kind of in the bridge. Yeah, it's in it's in the bridge between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Okay. Interesting. I'll check it out. I just haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure Tommy Birch will love to hear your thoughts on it. I'm, I'm sure he would. Um, I have been doing, so like I got Disney plus and I've spent more time just going through the list mm-hmm. of movies on there and shows and stuff. Just being like the potential of what I could watch. Right. Exactly. I can't pick anything. I just like sit there and scroll. Yeah. I'm like, man, I, Oh, that one, like, that's, that one looks good. That's a pull. Well, back in the day. And there's so many of them that I see them and I'm like, oh man, I remember that. It's like, but I don't want to watch that, you know? <laughs> so true. Uh, like, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of those old animated kids or kids movies that like I look back on fondly, but like technically I'm probably never going to watch them. Well, like I have to be in the exact right mood, I think, to mm-hmm. watch that, you yeah. know? And I, <laughs> which is going to sound ridiculous when I tell you what I've watched so far. <laughs> Uh, first thing I watched was Remember the Titans, which is just a, yeah. I mean, all around. Great football movie. Great movie, you know. Yep. Uh, the next two things I watched were uh, Muppet Treasure Island <laughs> and uh, in the new Muppet movie with, so you got with Jason a, Siegel. So you got on a Muppet binge a little bit? Yeah, I don't know what it was. I just I got home from the game last night and I really wanted to watch something. You're just like, you got home and just like, you know what? You know what sounds great? The freaking Muppets, man. I love the Muppets, dude. I love the Muppets, too. Anybody who hates on the Muppets is a loser. Uh, I, I can foresee myself probably doing going on a Pixar binge at some point. Yeah, I know that... Dude, so I was just looking at all this different stuff. I don't know if you saw my tweet today, but it's there was this clear... Uh, like, obviously, Disney starts as one thing. Like, it's Mickey Mouse and uh, Snow White mm-hmm. and, like, some of those... Like, the original, original Disney animated classics. Yep. And then... 
like in the late fifties through the mid seventies, up a little bit into the eighties, late, like the late eighties. And then it kind of goes away completely really in the nineties. Uh, they had this formula where it was, we are going to make a movie. This movie will be based on the idea of an animal doing something that an animal should not do. And it was incredibly fascinating to me looking at, looking at some of these movies. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you figure what, what was the first movie that kind of got the ball rolling? Right. Like what's the one that they hit on that they're like, Oh yeah, this is gold, gold, Jerry gold. Exactly. This is, this is the thing that we need to ride right now. Yeah. And like, I was looking at the one, it was about a goose that lays golden eggs. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking like, man, yeah, (laughs) you know, like that's, I I don't know. I wouldn't have thought of that, but that, yeah, I can see where, when that movie came out, people were probably like, Holy cow. It's kind of like the, the, the line of thinking where let's just do this and see what happens just because we can. Well, and there's the one Gus where it's a mule. That's a football kicker. Mm -hmm. That is that entire concept is so incredibly ridiculous. Dude. I think I, I think I watched that movie at one point. I can't remember. I I know I've seen it before. Yeah. Um, and then there's one, the one that killed me the most was, I think it was called dog DA. Yeah. And it's where a dog, like a man is turned into a dog. And I think that, I know that that's something that's been done. The shaggy dog, like there's a remake of it with Tim Allen. Mm. Uh, but when I saw it, it was the dog DA and it was like the, this concept of this dog being the County prosecutor was so incredibly ridiculous to me that I just, I want, I wish I could have been in these meetings where these people are pitching these ideas and they're like, yeah, you know, what's next. They're like, you know, I'll be crazy, dude. If we made a dog a lawyer, <laughs> and, and you wonder like what hap- what would happen if that movie had never existed, but then for whatever reason, some writer came up with the idea today and pitched it at an actual meeting. Like, would they go through with it? No, you know what would happen to that guy? They'd be like, "You're fired. Go write your pages on the next uh, uh, the next Marvel movie, please." Yeah, exactly. Like, you're, you're. It's like, no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And. That's what was just so interesting to me was looking through the catalog and seeing like, man, there are so many of these movies that would never get made mm-hmm. ever be just because not because they're not good ideas. I, well, I don't know that they're good ideas or bad ideas, but they are certainly ideas. Yes. And, uh, it's just like you pitch that idea and a studio exec is like, why would that ever make any money? Mm-hmm. You know what? And we've had this whole conversation before about the, Marvel movies and like, yeah. and, and the franchises and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, that's what, that's what film is now, yeah. you know, what for can the, make most, the part. most money. Right. And it's like, and if it's not that, then it's a, some sort of drama or something like that. Or it's like, there's a very like clear formula for this is what a comedy is going to be. Or this is what's going to get us an Oscar this year. Yeah. Like we don't step outside of the, the boundaries very much. But like back then it was just like, we have no boundaries. We don't really know what makes me, you know, it's like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, we'll, yeah. And we'll kind of figure it out as we go along. Yeah. And that is just very fascinating to me. I don't know that I spent way too long thinking about this, uh, at a ridiculous hour of the, of the night, um, to where I had already, when I, when Leif texted me this morning, I'd already formulated this entire thing and yeah. like talk to him about it. Cause I was testing it for, for the podcast. You know, what you should do is if you ever do happen to watch some of these old movies, you should come back and like do a quick, like 
two minute movie review on, I, on this podcast. I should live tweet like the movies that no one will watch on Disney Plus. Yeah, there you go. Like, the, you, like if, if you could find out somehow like what the least watched movies are on Disney Plus, I don't know if the, those stats would become publicly available or not. But if you ever did find those out and be like, I'm going to watch that one. Just the ones that sound so the most ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I already know that I'd start watching them. I'd just be like, dude, this is so stupid. <laughs> this is like, this is so crazy. Yeah. And um, yeah, this, we might have an idea here. Mm-hmm. This is, this is interesting. Um, all right. I, that's not even my hot, but I talked about that for a long time. Sorry. Uh, my hot this week is a documentary called nobody saw a thing. It's on Sundance now. Uh, it's about a story. It's a story about a town called Skidmore, Missouri, which is uh, just southwest of Maryville, Missouri, which is in the northwest corner of, of uh, Missouri is about 30 minutes from my hometown. Skidmore is probably like 45 minutes from Clarinda. Mm. Um, now there's like 200 people that live in Skidmore. And back in the 80s, there was a story where I think there was probably twice as many people that lived there at that time. But there's a story about a man who had basically been running roughshod across Northwest Missouri, had been terrorizing the population of people. He had been charged with 39 felonies in Northwest Missouri and had not been convicted of a single one. And uh, one day the people in the town had a town meeting, uh, they basically lured him into town and then they killed him. Someone killed him and they don't, and to this day, they don't know who did it. What? The people in town know who did it, but they, they're, or like they're, they all decided to make a pact to keep it a secret. Everybody said we're the town will like, no one will ever know who did it. Wow. And it could have been multiple people. It could have been cause there was like 70 people out on the sidewalk when this dude was shot and killed and no one knows who did it. And it just so happened that the sheriff had driven out of town when this was about to happen. And like, there's all these different kind of crazy things. And it like goes forward where, you know, they had basically made it out to be like, it was this guy that was causing all of these problems. And now there's been like, they show like 10 or 15 different times where there's been like murders or abductions or like just crazy crimes that have happened in Skidmore since then. And it's like, and this is a town of 200 people yeah. and there's like 15 different things that are like this, like where a kid goes missing in a tiny ass town and no one knows who did it. And like, no one will say anything. And none of these, like almost all of these crimes remain unsolved. And it's just the, the craziest thing about this little town. And it all started with this one deal where the entire town came together and basically vigilante justice said, we're going to kill this guy. Holy crap. Yeah. And then, okay. How, how is this a series or yeah, is it's uh the final episode will come out tomorrow. It's six episodes. I've watched the first five, but wow, that sounds really interesting. You can get a seven day free trial to Sundance now. And, uh, and I promise you, if you start watching it, you'll probably watch the whole thing in the it's, seven days. It sounds kind of like it, it cut from the same cloth as making a murderer. In it a, is, in a way. it is. But so like, do they, do they interview people like in the town? Yes. Like townspeople? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, a lot of the people that are, that I feel like were probably the primary characters in the play, in the story, I mean, are, are probably dead. It's 40 years ago, you know? Yeah. And, but it all started where this guy, he, there was a corner store or something where they had uh, accused this dude's daughter of stealing from the store. And the guy came back and tried to like get into a, they got into a little tussle or whatever. The dude is old, like the guy who was the owner of the store and he shot him. Everybody knew who'd shot him. The entire 
Like everybody in town knew who had shot him. And, and he lived to tell them like who had shot him. And then he still didn't get convicted of the crime. <laughs> and that's like what the thing was that they, that prompted it. Finally, they're like, we're taking this into our own hands. If the justice system won't do it. Wow. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy. And now like the people that they interview were around, but they're, most of them were a lot younger or like they were kids or whatever. Yeah. And they'll say that they have a good idea who did it, but they won't ever say who it was. Mm. And it's just, it's nuts. It's, it's a crazy story. That's such a crazy concept that you can get. I mean, even in a town as small as 200 people, technically if you think about 200 people, that's a lot of people for something like this. Like right. not one person's going to fess up to anyone who asks. Yeah. That's it, crazy. And they say like that now, like if you move there, like you, people that are from the outside are just not welcomed because this became a huge national story in the eighties mm-hmm. that this had happened and no one would say anything. And like, they can't figure out anything they can't get any leads. There's nothing. Mm. And, uh, like even when there was, there was a, his wife was in the truck with him and lived, they didn't shoot her. They didn't shoot her. And she said who did it and they still didn't do anything about it. And it's just insane. The entire thing is nuts. It's like the wild west. Yeah. And, and it's just, you see the, this stuff about like small towns and I don't know, it's a very fascinating watch. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would highly suggest it. That is it's, a, super it's dark cool. subject content, obviously, but <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's just one of those things like you sit back and you're like, man, like the idea of this happening in the 19th century yeah. is, or in the 20th century. 20th century. Yeah. That's what I mean. 20th century is like, that's just nuts. It's like, this is like the wild west. Yeah. That sounds like the, the, like something a, a movie exec would come up with for like a, a fictional story, but it actually happened. It has been made into a fictional movie, like in the nineties. Oh, really? Yeah. Like based on a true story kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But I think there was maybe a book written about it at some point. But I mean, I think I'd heard the original story. Once I started watching it, I was like, I've heard about this before, but I didn't really know like what exactly it was. And then I realized my dad told me that he had, uh, my dad did his like observation hours for his, he had a PE degree, did his observation hours in Skidmore. Oh really? Yeah. Which would have been like five years after that, five, six years after so that. So have you talked to your dad after watching this series? Uh, not, I haven't asked him like, more details about it but so you, sh- you should get him to watch it and see what he says after watching it yeah i mean i i it's just crazy dude like to see i don't know like i said it's just it's a crazy idea yeah that that could happen sounds super interesting man all right uh my this week fran mccaffrey i think we all know why obviously first of all monday xavier foster decided to come to iowa state instead of iowa and then after all that happened iowa lost to freaking depaul at home how sad is that, man? And DePaul was picked uh, picked to finish 10th in the Big East. Yeah, so it's not like DePaul is out of 10. a world beater by any means. And traditionally, DePaul is a pretty weak fo- uh, basketball program. So. I, cha- I channeled my inner Brent Bloom Monday night by tweeting out uh, the last time DePaul won a uh, a non conference, like a major non conference road game was like in 2013. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just for reference. Just for reference. Yeah. And. How many Hawkeye fans replied to you? None. And when you lose by 20 to the team that got picked to finish 10th in the Big East, you can't say anything, I don't think. That's true. Uh, you're kind of in a position. But I also, from listening to the portions of Sports Fanatics that I did yesterday, I think that they're all kind of in the same spot that it's like, man, this team might really be not good. Yeah. Like, it's kind of hard to 
like argue with anybody when your team just kind of stinks. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the unfortunate part for Hawkeye fans uh, is that there's probably not near as much to get optimistic about in the future. Well, and the reality is too, that it's the third game of the season, second game of the season, whatever it is. Yeah. Who knows what they'll be in January. Yeah. You know? Again, they, they could make huge strides by then for all we know. Yeah. Especially if Bohannon maybe gets a little more healthy. We'll see. That just was a really rough week, rough week for <laughs> Iowa basketball. For, for old sure. Fran. Yeah. For, for Fran, for sure. For Iowa basketball in general. Uh, it has also been a rough start to the season for our old friend, the mayor, Fred Hoiberg, the Nebraska, Nebraska ball Cornhuskers are off to a 0-2 start with losses to uh, UC Riverside and Southern Utah in double overtime. Yeah. Uh, and it took him a buzzer beater to get to overtime. I feel a little bit bad for Fred, but I obviously myself and other Iowa State basketball fans don't have like any sympathy for Nebraska. Yeah. In general. Yeah. I, I, I was not expecting them to be good at all. I was actually fully expecting them to be pretty bad. I don't think I was expecting them to be lose to UC Riverside and Southern Utah bad. Yep. Uh, but with the number of new guys that they have and stuff, I mean, they've got like 12 new players. Mm-hmm. I think they had two guys that were on the roster last year that were back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you expect them to be not good, but to be like that, you're like, whoa, okay. That's a whole lo- other level of bad. Right. That's, that's real not good. And I think they, I, I mean, I, I know for sure that everybody there still has confidence that Fred is the, is going to turn that around. I still think he will be, yeah. I, I still think he will. Like you, it's just, that was a tough job to come in right away yeah. and try and flip it around and play his style of play, especially with the way that they were playing before. Yep. And, but it's, yeah, you feel bad for Fred. Uh, you understand that it's the reality of the situation is, is not going to be an easy job for him. Yeah, he's gonna, he had to find that out, I think. And ha- having not watched either of those games and not knowing that much about Nebraska ball this year, I, it's is it fair to say that they probably don't have as much talent as Fred's first Iowa State team had when he came? Uh, well, I mean, his first Iowa State team had Deontay Garrett, Deontay Garrett, Jamie Vanderbeekin, yeah, Jamie Vanderbeekin, uh, Scott Christopherson, yep, uh, uh, Melvin Edgem, Melvin Edgem. Uh, no, no, they do not. I mean, they've got two guys who are two of the top junior college recruits in the country who mm-hmm. will probably be, who will like be big pieces of next year's team. Um, the thing I will say that I think that they're probably finding out right now, like that Fred would be finding out right now, I don't obviously know this for sure, is that the transfer deal totally different is not the same. You know, like they took a bunch of those transfers, and he, I think he's probably finding out that you can't. It just isn't the same, like where you, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, the hit rate on those transfers in the past, I feel like was a lot higher than what it probably is now, you know, where like a bunch of those guys that they took that there's, it's, it's just like at Nebraska, you're not getting the, the top of the top, you know, and yeah. they got some good guys, some guys that I think that are sitting out right now that could end up being pretty good players. But the grad transfers that they took were like, yeah. It was like there's no one else even recruiting them. Yeah. I mean, you think about those guys that Fred got. They they came from high major. They were high major transfers. You know, mm-hmm. Bab came from Penn State. Chris Allen and Corey Lucius came from Michigan State. Royce came from Minnesota. Well, and they were all good players at yeah. the school they were at before. And I'm not saying that some of these guys weren't good players too, but it's like the, it, there's just so many more guys that transfer now that 
like you just it, it's a lot more like a it's like a shotgun yeah like you fire them out and you hope if some of them hit but and a lot more of the blue blood blah, 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 blue blood yeah programs are just in on them now too right like he just it was not realistic for him for them to do that and i would imagine that they'll probably have to pivot a little bit yep uh back towards kind of what coach prom has done where you take some of those guys but it's just hard to be like we're going to build all every single team we have on the back of these guys yep it but like i said i still think fred will be i mean if anybody's going to go and win the their first big 12 or big ncaa first ncaa tournament game it will be him and if it's not him then no one will ever do it that's basically <laughs> where i'm at right now cancel the whole program all right last thing hot, uh, underrated underdogs so uh oh wait did you do your not yeah fran oh yeah fran okay sorry uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, I blanked for a second. It's all good. Uh, so yeah, mine did not hit last week. Yours did. It did. Dude, we had a whole conversation when TCU was up by three uh, late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Minnesota had just won their game. Obviously, uh, TCU and Baylor ended up in triple overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and you, I texted you, you and yeah. I said, "When's have we ever had a day where we both won on the same day? And I jumped the gun. Uh, you jinxed it. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I kind of had a bad feeling that I like that that could happen too. But I that really was not what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting there like, man, what's the odds that we were both going to have no. a good read on these games on the same day? Yeah, I, I knew you had good intentions. But yeah, unfortunately, Baylor, who everyone of course hates, wants to lose, came back and beat my pick TCU. So this week, uh, to counteract it, I am rolling with the Bears because that way it makes it a win-win for me. If Baylor loses, I win. In, in my in my core, my soul, if Baylor wins, then they get me a point in the underrated underdog standings. You're, uh, I'm picking them to beat Oklahoma. You're supporting Baylor? I, I'm not supporting them. I am just simply picking them to win. I mean, I'm just saying, like, basically it sounds like you're... No. I'm you're, not, you're behind Baylor a little bit. I am in no way supporting the Baylor Bears football program i'm just telling you like that's kind of what it seems to be uh i mean technically like you could you could bet on any team to win or cover a spread and it doesn't mean you're supporting them it just means that you want to win some money yeah but not all of them have like massive sexual assault scandals that they've covered up i mean have you ever supported penn state football in any way jared no i literally picked against them last week yeah you're right (laughs) bad example uh, uh, so yeah, I'm not yeah. supporting Baylor, but I am picking them this week. Uh, shout out to cousin, my cousin, Ben. He is, uh, we are his underrated underdogs this week. Uh, oh, yeah? I don't know if you saw that sign. Oh, yes. Yeah. That Dude, was, that was super cool. Yeah. That was Ben. He had that at the game in Corvallis. Thanks, Ben. That was super uh, awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Ben. He, he listens to all the podcasts and, uh, unfortunately he is like the world's biggest intern Brandon fan, which is just absolutely <laughs> sickening. But Nothing wrong with that. Have you, you haven't seen intern Brandon's mustache, so it, uh, it wasn't there a picture on Twitter at one point. I think it's gotten worse. Uh, oh, it's I'll surprise him tomorrow. But so it's progressed from peach fuzz to a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I gotcha. It's like makes you want to throw up bad. Mm. Needs to go. So uh, we need this month. To end. does intern Brandon have a girlfriend right now? He does. And the girlfriend is apparently OK with this mustache. I don't think that she is from what he has told us. But so he, but I've never met her. So, so he's, he's doing Movember is what he's doing. Probably, though. Right. Uh, like no shave November, November, just mustache November. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But he walked in last week and I was like, Oh my goodness. What is that? (laughs) What's that caterpillar? Why is there a caterpillar on your face? Uh, my, uh, my underrated underdog this week is, uh, 
I'm, I'm rolling with the hot hand. PJ Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers uh, on the road on Saturday in Iowa City, plus three against the Iowa Hawkeyes. I hope that you are correct. I actually don't feel very confident in that, but I feel like I got to roll with the hot hand. Yeah. Um, man, this just seems like that classic game where Iowa football, not, not much has gone well for them uh, over the last week or two, but they're going to come back and they're going to beat an undefeated team and be like, oh yeah, Iowa football, we're all back on the bandwagon. And that is where I'm going to stop with my uh, opining. I'm right. not going to give any thoughts on that one. All right. Again, I hope you win. I hope so, too. I hope so, too, for sure. Thanks to the professional MBA program at the Ivy College Business at Iowa State uh, for being the presenting sponsors of Stands and Fits. We teased that we are doing something next week that we didn't even talk about. Oh, yeah. That. During the podcast. Uh, there, we'll have a little bit something different uh, on next week's podcast. Um, we are going to speak to a journalism class. And we are going to do a podcast with a journalism class. How's that going to work? Like, are we going to like have, have each of them like make an appearance at one point or that, uh, that sounds like a problem for future Jared and Kevin to figure out. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I feel really bad for future Jared and Kevin. Cause it sounds complicated. Well, no, like I think it'll be easy enough. All you right. know, we'll figure it out. Like okay. we're both smart guys. We can, we'll get into the room and we'll, and we, we'll, we, we and we'll to, make it happen. You know, I mean, you just said we're smart guys, but I, th- I still think we would benefit from getting our MBA. We definitely would benefit from getting our professional MBA from the Ivy College Business at Iowa State. Uh, but yes, we are going to talk to the sports media class at Iowa State. Uh, now we will have a portion of that conversation, a Q&A type thing that we're going to figure out how exactly we're going to do probably over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that will be on, on next week's podcast. So I think that should be pretty interesting. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Thursday thesis coming up on Thursday. Cyclone Fanatic Radio coming up Thursday night. And then, of course, the Cyclone Fanatic Tailgate Show powered by Iowa Pork at 1130 on the north side of Jack Trice Stadium on Saturday. Horns down. Beat the Longhorns. Peace.